Well, we continue this morning our fall sermon series in the final 12 books of our Bible, our Old Testament rather, part of the Bible. Uh, We call these books, as you see on the screen, the Minor Prophets. They're called Minor, and I've said this now the last two weeks, and you're going to get this pretty quick. I'm going to start having a roaming mic. Uh, They're they're called Minor, um, not because they're unimportant, right? No, but because generally speaking, they are small in their size compared to the larger prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Um, I was talking with someone who has been in Ezekiel for for his time in the word, uh, and he's just transitioned out of Ezekiel. I'm still in Ezekiel uh, as I do my morning walk and I listen to the Bible, um, and it is a major prophet (laughs) in terms of size and content, and it's intense. I, I always forget how intense the prophets are, and even like Lori said, um, they're, they're about judgment. I mean, let's just, let's call a spade a spade. I mean, th- these, these prophets, again, they're not fortune tellers. Don't think like prophets in the Bible, like they are, you know, just telling you about what's unknown in the future. There, there's some future telling, but more so they're forth telling. They're speaking for God. And listen, God, God is a loving God, yes. Uh, God is holy, which means a ton of things Um, at one level, and I've said this to you before, for God to be holy means that he is distinctively different. And I got that almost 30 years ago, maybe exactly 30 years ago from a chapel speaker at Biola. Um, Yes, he's morally righteous, but it is so much more than that. His holiness has to do with him being distinctively different. So he's loving and he's holy, he's just and, and, and on and on the attributes go about God. Um, and, and because of all of those, though, um, we're not those things, um, generally, uh, or um, in our core, honestly, until God does a work in us. And so God's people, especially under the old covenant, his chosen people, Israel, they sinned and they did not act faithful to their covenant God. And so God had a word of judgment, several words of judgment against his people. Uh, I will tell you this, the, the good news, and I'll get there today, we are on this side of all that because of Jesus. Can I get an amen? I mean, it is, it is the gospel. And, and, and yet, we need to not skip these books. That's all simply a way to simply, hopefully, introduce, uh, introduce us to, again, these prophets. Because even if, like this word we're going to see in a moment, through Amos, famous Amos. We have famous Amos cookies today because, well, we just needed to uh, since we're in Amos um, for our snack. Uh, Like it was a word through Amos to God's people. Israel, the northern tribe, got at this point now in in the history of God's people, their kingdom, the kingdom of Israel was divided into a northern and southern. And Amos is from the south, we're going to see, and he has a word to Israel. So it's not to us, but we learn the character of God through the prophets, and what matters to God. And so this is a word for us, okay? Even if, thank you, Lord, for the cross of Jesus, okay? So Amos, famous Amos, I can't help but say it again. Uh, We come to him. He's the third of the minor prophets. We were last week in Joel, uh, the week before in Hosea. Lord willing, next week we will be in Obadiah. But today we are in Amos. I invite you to open your Bible to this prophet. Again, after Joel, before Obadiah, nine chapters long, Amos. And let's look at uh, the first verse there. 
of Amos. Amos chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. Verse 1 acts as really the introduction uh, to the the prophecy we're going to get to, and there's actually a lot there we need to orient ourselves to. Uh, First off, it talks about how he prophesied during the time of Uzziah, king of Judah in the south, and in the days of Jeroboam, uh, king of Israel in the north. So that, that orients it sometime between like 760 and 750 BC before Jesus. Um, and in terms of, remember the chart, I don't have it for you today, but remember these 12 prophets, they don't come at the very end of the Old Testament right before Jesus. Um, some come before the kingdom was divided. Some come during the division. And, and once God's people have gone into exile, uh, this is pre-exile, okay? And in fact, um, if you want to orient yourself, in 2 Kings 14, chapter tw- uh, verse 23 through chapter 15, verse 7, 2 Kings 14, 15, that's kind of the, the context for Amos' time during these two kings. Uh, it says, though, that um, Amos says that he was among the shepherds of Tekoa. That means he's not a professional prophet. <laughs> uh, he, he is not a professional prophet. In, in fact, um, Quite from it, uh, if you were to flip over to chapter 7, verse 14, it says there, Amos answered and said, I was no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. Again, he, he is not a professional prophet. He doesn't have prophets in his line. Um, we, we could say um, that, that Amos was just a white collar, or blue collar, excuse me, um, ordinary um, ordinary person, a shepherd, uh, a farmer. Um, and he's from Tekoa, Tekoa, which is in the south. Okay, so he is from the southern uh, kingdom. Uh, it's below Jerusalem, near the Dead Sea. Uh, but he is called to give this concerning Israel. Um, and then it says, two years, two years before the earthquake. Just a couple of comments uh, on on that. Um, so, so there's this earthquake that, that takes place. Uh, in fact, um, it, it's spoken of by Zechariah um, in Zechariah uh, 7. Um, I have it on the screen for you to take a look at. Uh, actually, that may be the wrong reference. I think it's 14.5, not 7.5. So Zechariah, this is, this is interesting. Hundreds of years later, uh, Zechariah would mention this very same earthquake. And there, Zechariah says, you shall flee... Uh, Sorry, I think I'm losing my place. There it is. You shall flee to the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach to Azal, and you shall flee as you fled. See, Zechariah is looking back from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. So Zechariah mentions this earthquake some 200 years later, and Amos says that his prophecy came two years before the earthquake. So he's obviously writing in hindsight uh, about this. And, and what's interesting is, in fact, how many of you felt the earthquake here uh, a couple weeks ago? Most of us did. Um, 
I was with a couple of my kids at our house, and we're up in the coffee park area, and we were outside, and we felt it, um, most definitely. I talked to um, others who were in Sebastopol, and some felt and some didn't, um, but we felt it. Um, and if you're old enough to have been through California earthquake and some significant ones, raise your hand. Uh, the, yeah, like there was a moment of, okay, is this the next big one? Like we, we've kind of lived long enough to experience to expect maybe, maybe that was it. And, and an earthquake brings with it some, some alarm. Um, and it's interesting that this, this notion, and just again, without like taking time to have everyone comment, but um, I, I'm guessing most of you, if you felt it, um, you weren't just like, meh. I mean, it was pretty intense in Santa Rosa. And then the, the aftershock came. And, um, and it was intense. It was intense. Um, Earthquakes do that. They're, they're, you, right? Scientists continue to try to learn how to predict, and they can't. Um, I actually, I think I know how to predict them. I was, I'm convinced it was all that heat we had the week before. Because I said to myself more than once, I think we're going to have an earthquake. This heat is like doing something to the land. And then it happened. I, I, yeah, I was telling you, see. So, well, anyway. I'm not going to quit my day job, though, and, uh, and go try to predict earthquakes. But, but earthquakes come, earthquakes come, and, and you're not expecting them. Now, we'll come back to that in a minute uh, and talk more about that. So he's from the south. He's writing concerning the north uh, in the days of Jeroboam. But again, he's not a professional. Um, and I mentioned Amos 7.14, where he says, I'm not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet, but, but a herdsman, a shepherd a dresser of sycamore figs. Um, the very next verse, and this one I do have. Um, I keep losing my place. There it is. Um, Amos 7.15. I love this. and I want you to hear this, church. Amos says, but the Lord took me. So I'm a farmer. I'm a shepherd. I'm just, you know, your average blue-collar worker. I haven't been to seminary. haven't gone to prophet school 2.0. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people, Israel. Notice, I mean, Amos is making it crystal clear who the main character is in all of this. And it's not him. It's the Lord. The Lord took me. The Lord said to me. And, and I just want to sit on this for a minute. Um, you know, um, it, some people think that, that if they, you know, are not in vocational ministry, I mean, I remember as a kid, coming to faith in Jesus. And, and, it, and it's sort of easy to think, well, you know, there's this two-story, two-tiered view uh, in terms of people God uses. There's all the normal average people and, and whatever, but then there's, there's the, you know, people that are in the second story of the house, the, the, the pastors, the missionaries, you know, as if you got to go to school, you got to go across the world um, and, and, you know, prepare and, and plan to do this kind of thing forever. But just right here in Amos 7, Amos says, I'm not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet. I'm a shepherd. But then he says in that next verse, the Lord took me. So whatever you do for your day job, if you're a student, if you're a parent, if you work in an office, if you work in a school, if you, I mean, whatever, the Lord wants to use you. Uh, You may not be become a famous Amos. <laughs> Actually, you wouldn't want to be Amos. He, he was not very famous, really. He was more infamous. 
um, to come from the south and go give this message to the north. They didn't like him. Um, maybe at first we'll see that they did, but, but, God, but God uses ordinary people. Listen, listen to this. I love how Mark Dever puts this. Um, think back through the stories in the Old Testament and the surprising ways and the surprising people God chooses. The pagan Abraham became the father of the faithful. The 80-year-old and stuttering Moses became the great lawgiver and liberator of Israel. The young shepherd boy, David, became Israel's greatest king. On and on we could go. And Amos, a church layperson, a farmer, he was called by God to be a prophet to a nation that appeared to be prosperous and successful. Who would have planned such things? The Lord planned such things, and the Lord calls. And that brings us back then uh, to to Amos, um, from these statements at the end of verse 1, before the earthquake and, and orienting us to Uzziah in the south and Jeroboam in the north, these were prosperous times for Israel. As a nation, they were doing um, comparably well, almost comparable to the time of King Solomon. And if you know your Old Testament history, the height of the kingdom of Israel under Solomon, I mean, it was lavish and things were great for them as a national entity of, of people. Uh, the biblical record is clear. This time was like that as well. But God, God comes and he shows up. And this mention of the earthquake, God showed up like an earthquake for Israel. They weren't expecting this, this word of judgment. Um, let's, let's start to get into that. Look at verse 2 with me. Amos chapter 1, verse 2. And he, that's God, said... The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. So you have in verse 1 this mention of an earthquake. um, And then you have this statement in verse 2 that the Lord roars from Zion. So God's message, it's like an earthquake. And that earthquake they experienced may have reminded them of how shattering this message was, but then this verse here speaks of God roaring. Um, I don't know what you think of when you hear roar, whether it's kind of like a, a wave roaring, you know, the waters roar, nice and, you know, almost like white noise at the end of the day when you want to go to bed, that kind of roaring. Well, if, if, you, if you think more of like a lion roaring, that's, that's actually more of, of the picture. And so actually in chapter three, um, it says that the lion has roared. That's God saying his word of judgment is like a roaring lion, a ferocious, pursuing, menacing lion. We just got done singing a few moments ago about the lion and the lamb. And, 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 and this is one of those, those pictures of God that finds itself in, in the Old Testament and it will find itself in the New Testament. And so um, Satan, many of you know, is, is the, the roaring lion who seeks to devour us, his people. And yet that metaphor, God uses it of himself. And he roars with judgment. And in Revelation, it says that um, he, he is the great lion of the tribe of Judah. And again, those of us that are in Christ on this side of the cross, having received the gospel, we, we, we can take comfort in that. But we need to, like, I think we think more of the lamb, Right? cute, cuddly lamb, but a ferocious lion. And Jesus is both. 
Again, God's character, his holiness, his love, his justice, he's, he's not just one attribute, he's all of it. And, and he roars, he roars. And this, this word of judgment roars. And God is speaking and his people need to hear. Israel needs to hear. And again, we, although this is not a word to us, it's for us to hear what matters to God. So, so a simple outline of the book of Amos, you see it there on your screen. We've looked at verse one, chapter one. That's just the superscription, just the introduction. And really then the rest of this, this uh, prophet, uh, uh, this book is a section of these oracles of judgment and then the visions of judgment. Um, but there's something else within that. And I, I, I was blessed this week by some words I read. Again, I mentioned Mark Dever. And, and I think he, he sums it up well. In this book of judgment, we, we learn that God cares. This, this prophet of judgment, yes, um, underneath it, through it, in it, if we take the time and we, we have just, you know, a bit of time to sort of orient ourselves to this whole letter, but if you find yourself having time to go back and work through Amos, or the next time you read it, um, I, I hope you will see that, that within the message of judgment to his people, deeper than that is, is a message that, that God cares. Now, I, I want to highlight two things. Um, the first, we're going to see God cares about sin. See, and that's the word of judgment. The fact that God would judge his people, it's because he cares about sin. He, he takes it seriously. So God cares about sin. We're also going to see cares for people. He doesn't just care about his laws and rules and the way he's ordered things and, and intended for things to be. Yes, he does. He's holy. He's righteous. He's good. He's just. He's merciful. He's all of it. And he cares about sin and he deals with it, but he he cares for people. And, and then I'll just throw this out now. We need to be thinking, um, do we care about those things too? As God's people, do we care about those things as well? So let's jump in again some more into chapter one. So take a look at verse uh, three. There's going to be a pattern that we're going to see six or so times uh, in chapters uh, one and two. So at verse Three, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. And then it goes through and lists the sins of this, this nation, Damascus. So again, think about this for a minute. Along comes Amos, he's from the south and he comes up to Israel and right, they're divided, they're kind of enemies, but he's got this word from the Lord of judgment against the nations. And so he he gives one to Damascus. Look at at verse 6. Thus says the Lord, it's the same pattern, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Jump over to chapter 1, verse 9. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Tyre and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Verse 11. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. 
Jump to verse 13. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the Ammonites and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Chapter 2, verse 1. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Moab and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. At this point, I think we probably could call Amos famous. They like hearing this. Oh, okay. Our, our, our enemies send up a prophet. Okay, we'll listen because he's, he's speaking a word of judgment against the nations, against our enemies. Yeah. Get him, God. Um, I skipped over the details in there, but you heard the repeat for three yet four, and God's not going to hold back or revoke his punishment. He's, he's going to judge the nations. And, and so, again, we could summarize, um, scholars summarize that these sins uh, are, are, are really, they boil down to laws of justice. Um, there's border skirmishes in there. There's enslavement. There's betrayal. There's greed. There's all kinds of brutality. Um, for, for people that are made in God's image to treat other people made in God's image in these ways, um, in, in opportunistic, one writer puts it, in hateful behavior, it's an affront to God. And so God is going to judge. And again, this gets back to the greatest commandment Jesus said was love God and love others. The Ten Commandments, we've talked about them. They're broken down first into responses to God and then responses to others. The great commandment, love God, love others. I mean, this, is, this has been the refrain for God's people. Because I love you, you're to love me in response. And then out of and as an overflow of your love to me, you, you love one another. And we are to treat people with dignity, honor, value, and so forth, and yet these nations are not behaving that way at all. But what's interesting, at verse 4 of chapter 2, there's one more nation that Israel in the north would have been happy to hear a word of judgment against, and it says this, chapter 2, 4. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Oh, man, the Israelites are happy still at this. All right, Amos has just blasted the foreign nations. Oh, and he's got a word of judgment against our brothers in the south. Yeah, they, they would have liked that. But then his, his fame would have been changed very quickly because at verse 6 of chapter 2, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. And the rest of Amos from 2 uh, verse 6 uh, on is God dealing with his people, Israel. But since Judah is also God's people, I, I want to read what God says to Judah. And then I'm going to read uh, just a little bit into what God says to Israel before we kind of move farther into the book. So look back now, verse 4. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes, but their lies have led them astray, those after which their fathers walked. So I will send a fire upon Judah and it shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. We could summarize to Judah the, the, the primary sin is simply that they have rejected God by rejecting his word. 
I mean, it's flat out what it says. They have rejected the law of the Lord. They have just completely turned away from it. And again, Israel at this point would have had their chests puffed up and with, with some pride. Because so far, God has judged the foreign nations and then their brothers to the south. But now listen as I read part of God's judgment against Israel. Chapter 2, verse 6. For three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge, and in the house of their God they drink the wine of those who have been fined. Again, summarizing, and we'll, we'll jump ahead in a moment, but um, th- there is a grotesque and inappropriate love for material possessions such that they just treat people. They don't treat people as people. They, they don't care about people and uh, in, in the poor, and they're mentioned there. Um, and then it lists illicit sexual pleasure and things that, um, again, all these things, um, love of possessions and materials over people, illicit sexual pleasures. It's all at the expense of people and their, their property. Jump forward to chapter 5, verse 18. So well into the oracles of judgment and so forth. Chapter 5, verse 18. I'm going to read verses 18 through 27. Woe to you, this is to Israel, who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? Now, if you were here last week, remember we talked about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is multifaceted. And yes, it's a judgment on the nations, but it's a judgment against God's people. It's a judgment on their sin. And and apparently Israel loved all this day of the Lord stuff they were hearing against the foreign nations, against Judah. But woe, he says, woe to you, who would desire the day of the Lord. It is darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion, there's that lion imagery again, and a bear met him or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? And listen to these words of God against Israel and their religion, their their worship. I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. This is a solemn assembly. We don't often call it that in our day. But God's people getting together on the Lord's day. This is a solemn assembly, right? Those words sound, you know, kind of Elizabethan-ish or King James-like and, you know, We've got electric instruments and we've got video. And I think maybe we can forget in lights and fans and whatever, right? But, but, but God's people coming together is a solemn assembly. And God says to them, I hate your feasts. I despise them. I have no delight in your assemblies. 
Verse 22, even though you offer me your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. Verse 24, a very famous verse. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. See, and again, if we had time to work through every chapter and every oracle and whatnot, the Israelites, they too have rejected the word of the Lord like God said to Judah. They, they have completely rejected it because they're, they just completely don't take care of people. We, we read that briefly back there in chapter 2. And, and in this point here in chapter 5, um, verse 27 is summarizing how they, they should be. Um, or sorry, verse 24, let justice roll down like waters, righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. You see, in, in their psalm assemblies and their worship, um, it was just noisy outward religiosity. And I love how Lori stopped us this morning and, and wanted us to pray and, and think about what we're coming to do. We don't offer animals Thank God, and if you were with us, we looked at Hebrews and we're thankful for the once and final sacrifice of Jesus, but, um, but we offer songs of praise and we offer prayers and, and, and so God's people there, they had rejected God's word, but then they, they just completely had disdain for, for people and especially the poor. Um, and I know last week when Beth stood here and, and shared about the seminar yesterday, um, and she had told me, in fact, um, as she had been reading, uh, not only in that book um, that was part of the seminar, but even here in the prophets, God is pretty clear. He is bringing judgment because his people don't treat those on the margins and fringes of society well. So, so back here in verse 24, let justice roll down like waters. We kind of understand that picture and and an ever-flowing stream. So justice is to roll down and righteousness is to flow like an ever-flowing stream. So just a couple of comments on these words. Justice, this Hebrew word, it's much more than legal equity. Scholars help us. It refers to the entire scope of God's government of his world. So to do justice, and that comes up a lot in the prophets, to do justice and to love mercy, which we're called to even still, it involves um, yes, on the part of a government, a fair and just use of power, a proper functioning, uh, a fair judicial system, especially to protect the weak from the strong. But on the part of individuals, and this is where we have to understand, we, God's people now, aren't a nation like Israel. We are a people from every nation, in all these nations so we as individuals, it's very good and fitting to work for a just government and a righteous government that helps people and treats people well, um, and that is just and so forth. But as individuals, right, and as the church, for us living in Sonoma County, living in California, in the United States, for us to do justice, it involves us being honest and fair in our individual dealings with folks, 
right? that we are faithful to our word, that we don't take advantage of people, especially the poor, and that we, we seek to help those with less power, very much so we are to be people of justice. This is God's heart. And then righteousness, that involves doing what is right in the sight of God, especially with regard to the conduct of others. So for God's nation, Israel, they, they held back justice and righteousness. And God says, I want it to flow. You love me, you say, but, but you've rejected these, these traits and you don't act justly and righteously. You trample the poor, you, you use them and abuse them. And I'm judging you. Verse five, or sorry, verse 25 of chapter five continues. Did you bring to me sacrifices and offerings during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You shall take up Sikuth, your king, and Kuyun, your star god, your images that you made for yourselves, and I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. So their God is saying, you're, you're gonna be taken captive beyond Damascus. That's speaking of, some, of the Assyrians coming in and taking them away. And this is Amos. Word of judgment to nations, a word of judgment to Judah, a word of judgment to Israel, all because God cares about sin. And especially, specifically, he cares about the sins of injustice to people and the complete lack of care that Israel had. But see, in, in caring about sin, right, God cares. I said to you, that's, that's the deep message of this book. He cares about sin, but he cares about people. God cares about the poor, and the fatherless, and those on the margins, and those on the fringes. He cares, cares. Do we care? Again, if this is a word for us, even if it's not to us, do we hear this heart of God and how's our caring? Do we care about sin to the same degree as God does? Or do we, you know, oh, we're saved by grace and, uh, you know, God will forgive me and it doesn't really matter. And, and we can live that way. We can live very um, flippant, careless because of grace. But sin matters to God. He cares. And these specific sins matter to God. And I, um, I again, I just share and appreciate Beth's heart last week standing here because I too work downtown and um, it is so easy to just think, oh, this city is looking so trashy and oh, it smells. And, oh. Why can't someone fix it? And, and Amos isn't a call to fix it, like, but, it, but it's a call to care and, and to, to say, God, have mercy on my heart because in those dark moments, um, I reveal that I don't care like God, that, that there's not an impulse of, of justice and righteousness flowing out of me. Right? And, and so it's not just about am I buying a meal for every person that I run into. It's about our hearts. I mean, how often, Paul, have I just prayed about the situation? And 
and I'm embarrassed to tell you, not very much. I could just stop and pray for the, the needs. And I am very thankful for Reverend Gospel Mission. I'm very thankful for ministries like that who do something. But, but this book reveals God's heart for justice and righteousness. And if he cares about sin and he cares about people, my response, Paul O's response, needs to be one to say, God, give me your heart for sin, yes, to care, but, but for others as well. Amos 9 gets to some mercy. <laughs> Each of the prophets have it there. Um, and it shows up. God, even though he's sending his people into exile, um, there's going to be a restoration. And so chapter 9, verse 11, In that day I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. By the way, these verses show up in the book of Acts. Um, In Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council, they're trying to figure out, can Gentiles be part of the church, and do they have to look like Jews or not? And and in Acts 15, 16, uh, the apostle James, he cites Amos 9, 11, and 12, saying that that this, this time has, in fact, been inaugurated. It's come with Jesus, and it will come even more when, when he finally returns. Um, and all the nations, that includes Gentiles, they get to be included in, in this blessing. Um, so there's, there's mercy that's coming. Behold, the days are coming, verse 13, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed, the mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. They shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. So these people have to hear this word of judgment, but there's a promise that there's restoration coming for, for Israel and in some specific way. But let me jump forward because, again, events have transpired, including, including the glorious coming of the Lord Jesus. And so we are thankful, church, that Jesus came not only to care about sin, which he did, and to denounce it, but he battled the powers that held sin, right? That's what Colossians reveals to us, Colossians 2, 14 and 15, that Jesus on the cross disarmed Satan and our sin. He, in fact, is the one who did let justice flow and righteousness flow from his life. Unlike Israel, he was the one who was completely sexually pure and in his religious worship, he was good and right. He was materially selfless. He was compassionate. He was everything we fail to be, everything Israel failed to be. He was perfect. And now, and we saw this again in Hebrews over and over again, Jesus is the head of a new covenant. So God's people, Israel, they were under an old covenant and they broke it. 
They failed to live up to their part, but Jesus now, as the head of a new covenant, he's, again, fulfilled the righteous requirements. Romans 5.19 says, For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, speaking of how because of Adam's sin, all of us are made sinners. Listen to the second part of chapter 5, verse 19 of Romans. By one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So Jesus was obedient and righteous and, and because of him, we are made that. And then it's his death and resurrection. And of course, we learn that uh, on the cross, he absorbs the curse and the judgment of God in our place. Romans 3.25, God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, Jesus, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins or 1 John 2, 2, Jesus is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. So again, Jesus is the righteous one and he takes God's wrath of judgment and in his righteousness, it gets applied to us. So we, we don't have this judgment coming to us because it went to Christ. Here's a quote and it's on the screen for you to take a look at as well. In short, Jesus accomplished the faithfulness his people lacked. He received the consequences they could not bear and became the ultimate source of blessing from God. As the Apostle Paul said, quoting 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God cares. He cares about sin God cares. He cares about people. Do we care like him? And that's what this book drives us to, is just to, to say, God, change me. Help me to care because of the gospel. See, we don't go out and care for people to earn the care of God. We have the care of God. It's demonstrated to us in, in the cross. And out of that, change me, God, so that I can then worship you correctly, not renounce and forsake your word, and then love people. People. Um, in just a moment, we will, we will sing a new song, in fact, that, that is a prayer based from this, a prayer asking God to give us his heart. Um, and you know, church, we're not perfect because individually we aren't perfect. So that means we're not a perfect church, but um, I, I thank God for our church and how we do strive to love people in response to the gospel, to be a church of justice and righteousness towards people. Um, you, you know, last week we, we prayed with some earnestness for Angel's dear mom, Gloria, and, and she's doing well. Praise the Lord. A week later, she's doing well, and we, we rejoice. And I, I thank you for praying and for caring, um, as I know Angel does. Um, Yesterday, um, Kristen and Calvin and I, we were with the Brody family. So yesterday was the memorial service for uh, Kiara Brody. Um, and, and Trail uh, wanted to, me to communicate. He's told me this at several points along this journey that they're in, how thankful he is for you. And he knows you're praying. He knows you're asking, how can you help? And and. In, in a lot of ways, we have not tangibly helped them. 
But we've been praying, and you've been praying, and, and he knows that, and you have reached out to him and them. And, um, and yesterday, uh, Pastor Adam Wilson officiated that service and did an amazing job speaking the gospel um, into a very difficult situation. Um, and by us praying, we are doing what we can do and caring for people. And I just I wanted to give you those, um, those updates. Keep praying for Gloria. She's not out of it, but keep praying. God's at work, and she's a fighter because the Lord is in her. Um, and Trail is fighting, and uh, Marjorie, uh, too, walk with the Lord, and they need us to keep praying for them. So let's pray, and then let's sing a new song of response. God, you care about sin. And I confess, God, sometimes I don't. Change my heart, Lord, and help me see sin Uh, as a failure to love you. Uh, especially, God, these sins that, that Amos speaks of, these, these injustices to people, these, these withholdings of justice and righteousness and trampling the poor and using them for gain. Change my heart. Change our hearts. Help us care like you do. And, and Father, thank you that you care about us. And you care about those that are mistreated. And you are the father to the fatherless. You, you are the God who, who is there. And over and over, your word speaks of how you are for the poor and the destitute. And may we hear that and, and be changed so that we can, in response to who you are, be that way for people too. Make us like you because of Christ and his righteousness and and the, the glorious gospel, not to earn anything, Lord, but because of who Jesus is and what he's done. I pray, and we pray now in Jesus' name.